Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Richard. I feel like I've got quite a lot to live up to after that sort of intro. Um, oh, yeah, and I need that. Thanks, Noella. Uh, so, we are starting a new series today uh, called Jesus, Who Do You Think You Are? Um, and we're going to look at what Jesus said, the amazing claims he made about himself and what that then means for our life today. Um, but today, as a sort of intro, I'm going to step back a little bit and talk a bit about God as revealed in the Old Testament and particularly in the, the, the book of Exodus of whom God is and then go from that to look at what Jesus said about himself and finally talk about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. So that's, that's where we're going. Now, throughout history, there have been some big questions out there which philosophers and thinkers and people have asked about God and the universe and everything. Um, you could probably boil quite a lot of them down to two key questions. One is, is God? No. Does God exist? Is there anyone out there? Is one of the big questions. And then you can probably boil down a lot of other questions to, to if God is there, what is he like? What is God? What kind of being is God? Um, and scholars, thinkers, philosophers, people right through from the School of Athens, from people like Plato and Aristotle, through to Stephen Hawkins, who died just recently, have asked the question, you know, what is God? Is there a God? What is he like? Um, and it's a bit like, um, if you can imagine, this parody of uh, uh, Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel roof of you. We're trying to examine God and say, what's he like? We're like the scientists trying to, 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 to look at him. The thing is, if you want to know someone properly, there are ways that you can do it. You could study them, you could read about them, you could sort of spy on them. Um, but actually, the best way really to get to know someone is to spend time with them and for them to reveal themselves. You know, if you want to know what makes me tick, it's probably helpful uh, to talk to me or to listen to me. And you're all here today. How lovely. You get to hear some from my thoughts. Um, there you go. Anyway, um, getting to know someone is about them revealing themselves. And the amazing thing about our God, the God of the Bible, is he is a God who reveals himself. He is a God who doesn't leave us just with what can be seen from the world, what we can figure out in our minds. No, he's a God who reveals himself. He's a God who wants to be known. He's a God who wants people all over this world to know his love and his goodness and his justice and more than that, to know him uh, to be part of his family. The Bible is a story not of people trying to figure out and think what is God and what is he like. No, the Bible is a story of a God who comes looking for us, who reveals himself to us, who opens himself up to us. And we see that 
right at the beginning of the Bible, we see that uh, through the account of Genesis as he appears to Adam and Eve and to Enoch and to Noah and to Abraham and to various other people um, along the way. He's revealing himself. He's saying something about himself and making himself known to people. Um, But I want to start in Exodus because there's a really key moment of God's self-revelation in Exodus uh, that is really important for saying who he is and it's something that we'll see Jesus picked right up on um, uh, when we look at what Jesus said later. Um, we're going to be looking at Bibles quite a bit. Would someone mind going and picking up the Bibles from the back? Thanks, Ian. If you want a Bible, uh, stick your hand up and, and Ian will put one into it. Um, so if we look in Exodus 3... So the context is the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. They're being oppressed. Moses, one of the Israelites, has fled um, away to um, to, uh, Midian where he's being a shepherd. And this is Exodus chapter 3. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Moses called to him from, sorry, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Okay, so there's this key moment in Exodus. There's this bush that despite being on fire doesn't burn up. It's not consumed by the fire. It's got some source of power in itself which is um, making it light. Um, And then God speaks out of the bush. Um, Moses asks his name and God says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Okay, so how does God define himself? You see, the the Israelites lived in the culture of Egypt where there were hundreds of gods. There was Ra, god of the sun. There was Isis, who was a god of health and fertility. There was Apis, who was a god of wealth and incidentally looked like a bull, uh, which is interesting when you think about the the calf and that sort of thing. Um, Various other gods. When you add the god of dust and desert, you get the whole set. There's a joke. If anyone knows Egyptian gods, say, oh, no, I missed that. I'll explain later. Um, but the thing is, this god is not god of this, god of that. He's not god of health or wealth or whatever. He is god. He's god of everything. That's why he doesn't say, oh, yes, I'm the god of that. He says, I am. I am who I am. My existence is what defines everything. He's stating that he is the creator, that everything comes from him, that he doesn't depend on anything, on anyone else. He is God and God alone, the one true God. How does he define himself? By his existence and everything else springs from him. He is the source. And he's also eternal. There's a sort of, um, well, to us, a bit of an oddity of Hebrew grammar here, where we normally translate it, I am who I am, but it's actually um, an imperfect continuous tense, which basically means, could be I am now, could be I will be, could be I was. The whole, all three of them apply. It's a continuous thing. So I am who I am, I will be who I will be, I was who I was. He is eternal. He's outside of time. He doesn't change. He's not dependent on circumstances. He is eternal. He's existent. He's the creator. He's eternal. And he's powerful. He's the one who can take these people who are slaves in Egypt and set them free. He's the one who can judge the Egyptians and their worship of all these false gods with a whole series of plagues which show that he's more powerful than all their gods. He's the ones who can keep them safe for 40 years in the desert, feeding them with manna, bread from heaven. He's the one who can bring them into this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, which you know, to us possibly sounds a bit sticky and uh, slightly icky, but actually it's a picture of God's provision and his blessing for his people of giving them food he's powerful he's eternal he's the creator 
I am who I am. Um, Okay, so God says, this is my name. You'll say, I am has sent me to you. Um, Now, that can be a bit confusing. You know, if you can imagine you're an Israelite, you're trying to pray, you're trying to say something, you say, um, I am good because God is good, but then you're not talking about yourself, you're talking about God, all that sort of thing. Um, gets a bit confusing. So actually, what they did is they took that, that word, I am, or I am who I am, and they made it into he is. Okay. So what the Israelites actually called God was he is, okay, in ancient Hebrew. Um, It was probably pronounced something like Yehoah, okay? That's probably, we don't know for certain, but that's probably what it was said. It was something like Yehoah, okay? He is. In our Bibles, that's normally written as the Lord. So if you see the Lord, particularly if you see it with capitals, uh, that's the way our Bibles tend to express this Hebrew word, Yehoah. Um, he is, but it's written as the Lord. So back in that passage um, in Exodus, uh, he says, I am who I am, I am has sent me. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, capitals in verse 15, okay, and that's he is. Which, sound, which is pronounced something like Yehoah, okay? So that is his name. And we see throughout the, the Bible that used, often combined with other sort of names of God, you know, the Lord Almighty, um, etc. Um, there is a little bit of a confusion. Um, I just have to, this is a bit of detail, but just to put it in, because sometimes people get confused about it. Um, in Hebrew... They don't normally put the vowels in. Okay? When you're writing the Hebrew Bible, you don't put the vowels in. You just put the consonants. Nor- normally, you have little vowel markers to say what vowels are used. But uh, for, the, for the, uh, the Israelites, sort of, um, they decided that God's name was so holy that they weren't going to speak it out loud or that only the high priest would speak it out loud on the Day of Atonement. They said, God is so amazing so holy that we're not going to say his name out loud. So they stopped writing the vowel markers. They just put in these four letters, uh, which in English we'd express as Y-H-W-H, um, these sort of four Hebrew letters there to express his name. Um, and actually they, they, they used a different name for God when they actually spoke it out. They normally said Adonai instead, which means Lord. Okay, so... Um, That is what we have. Um, There is a bit of a confusion because when English translators of the Bible over the years have tried to say, how do we express it? Most of them have translated, if you like, to the Lord. Some of them have used these letters to form God's name. Um, Two versions of that. Wycliffe, uh, doing amazing translation of the Bible into English in the 1400s, um, he put in his own vows, deciding that actually it should be, that the, that the, the, the Y actually should be pronounced as a J and the, the V as a, the W as a V, and he put in these vows to make it Jehovah. So when you hear people say Jehovah, that's one way of expressing those letters. 
Modern scholars tend to put it more like Yahweh, 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 as I said. And so you'll hear we sing both these things in songs. We have some songs, there's no, one, there's no God like, our Jeho- like Jehovah we sing. It's not because we're Jehovah's Witnesses or anything. It's because we're singing this name of God. There's other songs we sing, um, Yahweh, Yahweh, faithful one, you've shown us the way, etc. Nice rhyme. Um, there are different ways of expressing the same thing. So just wanted to put that out because that can sometimes cause confusion. Okay, but it's this same thing. He is. He's the existent one. That's who God is. Now, let's talk about Jesus. You see, just as there are big questions about God, there are big questions about Jesus. We title this series, series Jesus, Who Do You Think You Are? Because people ask these sort of questions about him. There are many people who think of Jesus as a good teacher, a great leader, an inspirational figure, a picture of self-sacrifice, but who don't see him as God. And there are many people um, in that category. Um, But the thing is, we said that God is a self-revealing God. God is a God who wants to make himself known, who wants us and wants people all over this world to know him. And as we look at the New Testament, we see actually all that self-revelation of God, God trying to make himself known, hope I'm not doing odd things here, um, is what makes, uh, is focused in Jesus. So the writer, I'm going to pick up two witnesses. The writer to the Hebrews says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful world. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. He's the exact representation of his being. That picture of the radiance of of God's glory, it's a bit like... Do I need to do anything different? Radio rally. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, where was I? Okay, so that picture, the radiance of God's glory, it's a bit like the sun. How do we see the sun? We see the sun because the light coming from it. If, if God is the sun, Jesus is the light from him. That's the imagery that's using, being used for us. Um, or God the Father is the sun. Okay. What did John say? John, his friend... Um, who knew him, who traveled around with him so long. He, at the start of his gospel, has this amazing description of Jesus as the word of God, the word who was with God and who was God, and the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And John's gospel, his writing, is really all about that. He's really concerned with us understanding this, who Jesus is. He tells us in... um, John 20, um, he actually describes why he's writing a book. It's always very helpful when the writer of a book tells you why they're writing it. 
And what John says, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, God's chosen king, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is God revealed to us. God self-revelation, if you like. And as we look at the book of John, John really selects the material he writes down. All the things he could have written about Jesus, he records the key ones that express that. And in particular, he has seven key, we call them I am sayings of Jesus. Um, And they're really important because um, they say a lot about who Jesus is. But they also repeat one key phrase. Having done a bit of Hebrew, um, we're now going to do a little bit of Greek. So New Testament written in in Koine Greek. Um, In it, there is this phrase repeated in John quite a lot. Ego I me. Ego I me. Okay? It means I am. Now, one of the things about Greek as a language, the immediate significance of this is sort of lost slightly in translation. Because in Greek... In normal use, you wouldn't need pronouns, okay? So the verb does the work. So if you want to say, I am, you can just say, I me. You don't need the ego bit on the beginning, okay? The ego bit on the beginning. You don't need the I. <laughs> the verb does it, okay? Because it's a kind of language, if anyone's done Latin, it's a similar sort of language. You don't need the pronoun because the verb does the work. Um, if you say, ego, I me, you're really emphasizing that I, you're stressing it. Um, And here's the thing, Jesus says it again and again. He says, I am. He really emphasizes that. And what are we meant to hear? Well, we're meant to hear an echo. Because who's God? God is, I am. God is the one who says, I am who I am. God says, this is my name, that you'll know me for all generations. And then Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Um, Before Abraham was born, I am. Um, He says, I am the, the way, the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will live even though he dies. Incredible statements. If they weren't true, it would be utterly mad things to say. It would be mad to say, if I was saying I'm the resurrection and the life, it would be bonkers. Jesus says it because he is God. And the Jews realize this. So there's one point in John 8 where he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they start to pick up stones to stone him because they recognize sort of what he's claiming. Each pray, each phrase is startling in itself. Um, and they're extraordinary claims about oneself. And they only make any sense when you realize that Jesus knew he was God the Son. We're going to read um, the first one of these. Is Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And it's in John chapter 6. Um, so we're going to read that. 
going to read a slightly, it's a slightly long section. So um, I want to give you something to do just to sort of engage with it and keep us, help us all to notice some things. There are three key words we're going to pick up in it. One is life, one is believe, and one is bread. Okay, so on this side, whenever you hear the word life, can you sort of do a Mexican wave type thing? You can you know, wave your arms up. You can even stand up if you like, okay? Yeah, all up for that. Great excitement in the room, I can tell. This lot, wherever you hear uh, bread, can you do the same Mexican wave, stand up, that sort of thing? And you guys, whenever you hear the word believe, okay? So life, bread, believe. Got that? Okay, cool. Let's read. So this is John chapter 6. Okay, so John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed um, by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Yes, I forgot as well. <laughs> should we read that bit again? Okay. Where should we buy bread? I wasn't looking. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. Okay, good. Oh, you've got to keep on your toes, haven't you? Uh, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He also did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who'd eaten. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Okay, the next bit is Jesus walking on water, which we're going to skip over, although it is particularly spectacular, but um, for the purpose of time. Go on to verse 25. So the people realize Jesus disappeared. They go across the other side of um, the lake and find him there. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, on which the Son of Man will give, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? 
Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he's given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him and said, about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who's heard the father and learned from him comes to me. No one who has seen the Father except the one who's from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Okay. Well done. Arms all right. That's good. Okay, quite a long passage. Um, but good sort of work on the Mexican wave there. Hitting these three points. Bread, life and believe. The context is the feeding of 5,000. So he has fed this amazing miracle. Um, feeding 5,000 people. Um, they want, he's met their physical needs. Uh, in the book of John... Things like that are signs. They point to who Jesus is. And it says in verse 30, so they asked him, what sign then will you give so that we may see it and believe? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven. So this is an amazing miracle. 
in Exodus where God provides food. Um, I love this picture from a sort of 15th century woodcut because it looks like God's throwing snowballs at them. Um, but it's basically God providing manna in the desert, bread for them to eat. We forget how essential bread is. Most of us have lots to eat. Oh, actually, I was going to give you some bread as well. So this is... Okay, we'll forget that one. This morning, do grab a piece of bread. Uh, freshly baked this morning. Um, Apologies for people who need gluten-free. I did have a gluten-free roll, um, which I was going to bring, but Naomi pointed out it had been rolling around in the freezer without a bag on it, and I probably shouldn't give it out. So apologies for gluten-free people who need that. Um, anyway, we forget how essential bread is. Most of us, we have lots to eat most of the time, and we can typically always get more. But they were totally dependent. In the desert, they had nothing without God's provision day by day. And Jesus said, actually, you know what? That's how essential this is. But I'm the true bread from heaven. I'm the one you need for your very survival. I'm the one who has life. I'm the one, if you come to me, if you feed on me, you get life. And you get eternal life. You see, it's not just about now. He says, whoever feeds on me will live even though he dies. When our body dies, if we trust in Jesus, if we feed on him, we can live forever in his presence. The Jews sort of start to argue about this. They say, how is this possible? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And the key is this word, believe. Who was doing believe? It was you guys doing believe, wasn't it? Um, this is the key thing. How do we feed on God? It's about believing. Um, it's about putting our trust in him. That's why um, Jesus says, yeah, they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? They're thinking, okay, are there lots of good works we can do? Are there things that we ought to do to please God, um, to make him happy with us? And Jesus says, actually, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent, in Jesus, the bread of heaven. It's to believe in him, to rely on him, to put our trust in him. It's not just about mental assent, but it's about living choice. Um, I think uh, it was very, all the words that God was giving us earlier about the blank canvas and about his purpose is really interesting. It's like actually saying, God, I'm going to live life your way. I'm going to trust you and follow you. I'm going to do things your way. Jesus is the bread of heaven. He calls us to trust in him, to choose his ways. Um, it's all by his grace because he died. He said that he gave, it talks about him giving his flesh, his body. It's about him dying for us on a cross that we could be forgiven if we trust in him. But it's a bit like the bread. <laughs> you still need to take it to eat it, to get hold of Jesus, the bread of heaven. We do need to choose to follow him day by day, step by step, to trust him, to put our hands in him. We're all faced with a choice. And as we we start this new series as we think about life and the life that Jesus gave. 
Let's think about that choice. Are we going to choose day by day to follow him, to put our trust in him? Sometimes there has to be a sort of a one-off decision, a sort of this is it, this is what I'm choosing with my life. And some people, you you may be at that stage on your journey where the, the path forks, if you like, and you say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to put my trust in you from now on. And I'm going to follow you uh, forever. Sometimes it's day by day as we face different challenges. We have to choose to trust. But there's an offer for us today. And there's a welcome like the bread here. Let's take hold of Jesus. He's the bread of life. Um, I'm just going to pray. Um, and I would... Uh, let's all just... As we feel God speaking to us, respond to God in our hearts as we pray. So feel free to to echo this as, as I pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the bread of life. You're essential for our life. And you came to give us eternal life with you by your grace. And I pray that you'd help us to choose to follow you day by day and to put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if that's something that you've sort of prayed uh, for the first time today or it's been a significant change for you, I would love to talk with you about that and pray with you about that um, and just to help you on the way. Great. Thanks, Nick. Um, So the children are coming back. If you've got a, a 